Oh my gosh, what a day they're having. Can you imagine management right now on MSNBC? They're really not loving this right now. This is what nightmares are made of. I mean, it just went from bad to worse all within the span of 24 hours there for our friends at MSNBC. I know some of you have another choice, Dame, that you use for the, you use for the network. <laughs> I mean, I just, I think it's great. I think it's uh, pretty interesting to see, and there's going to be a ton of fallout. We're going to get into all of that, plus a whole lot more. We get to talk about Joe Biden and, you know, heck, you know what, Joy Reid, she was actually right. It's like, what the heck is this guy doing? I mean, really and truly. I mean, maybe we'd be better off with anyone. Anyway, anyone except for Kamala at this point. We're going to talk about that. Disney's back in the news because, oh, gosh darn it, you can't watch the Aristocats movie, you know, that little fun kitty cat movie for kids, without some commentary about how it's, like, violent for animals. You got me. I'm glad to have you here. I've been reading all your comments. I have. I I told you I did. And I, I love them. And you guys had a lot of interesting ideas, especially on the VP front, like who's actually going to be Trump's VP pick. So we're going to talk about that in our exchange in just a little bit. This is a live show, of course. We're brought to you, as always, by our friends over at LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Give them a ring. If you're worried about inflation, understandable to be worried about inflation these days. I got a big segment coming up for you. Guys, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. They, they say they're trying to pretend like Bidenomics is perfect. And I've got a lot of numbers that are going to show you otherwise. So if you're worried about inflation, give them a ring. one 589 Your course. Welcome to Use My Name. Great, great folks over there. Charles comes on the show all the time. And uh, let's get started here because <laughs> MSNBC is not having a very good day at it. You see... Everybody saw this interview that Rachel Maddow had been billing as the big exclusive. It turns out it wasn't really exclusive, but you know what? We're going we're gonna to let that slide for just a moment. She had this big interview with E. Jean Carroll. And you know Rachel. I mean, she's just one after another. I mean, the conspiracy theories that we had to sit through for four years every night. I used to watch her and think... My gosh, like, how is this woman allowed on TV? How can she present herself as a journalist? I think she gets that she's nothing more than an entertainer, and she rides that one all the way to the bank, quite literally. She makes a lot of money. But Rachel Maddow decided she was going to bring E. Jean Carroll on, because this is great, you know, this massive more than $80 million verdict against the former president of the United States for defamation. And one would expect, dare I say, a little bit of class, maybe just sort of some thoughtful thing that she might have had prepared for when Rachel Maddow asked her this, asked her this about is there anything that she could do for women now that she had this massive settlement, which I think is going to get appealed anyway. And you're just not going to believe, I mean, it just makes your skin crawl. Makes your skin crawl and mad out. The journalist, not, doesn't even follow up. Watch this and weep. You've talked about using some of Trump's money that you're about to get um, to help shore up women's rights. Do you know what that might be, what that might look like? Yes, Rachel. Yes. Tell me. I had such 
such great ideas <laughs> for all the good I'm going to do with this money. First thing, Rachel, you and I are going to go shopping. We're going to get completely <laughs> new wardrobes, new shoes, Rachel motorcycle for Crowley, new fishing rod for Robbie. Rachel, what do you want? Penthouse? <laughs> it's yours, Nothing. Rachel. Penthouse and uh, France? You want France? You want to go fishing nope. in France? No? Oh. All right. All right. Okay. That's a joke. <laughs> it's the lawyer time. Although right? if, if me fishing in France could yeah. do something for women's rights, I would take the hit. You know, I would obviously uh, take one for the team. I All right, let me, let me, <laughs> as if, as if you need persuasion in that regard. Let me, let me finish with a final question. Um, you see, she, she never went back. Like the normal journalist thing to do would be like, okay, okay, it's kind of funny. Ha ha ha. Okay, no, but really, what are you going to do? Do you want to do anything to help women? No, no. She wants to buy Rachel a penthouse. Why? Because Rachel helped her score that deal? That's what people are going to say, okay? I'm sorry, but this tape is going to be played over and over and over and over again. And because of that moment, because of the superficiality of this woman, women that really do need to take men to court, they're the ones that are going to suffer. You may think it's all fun and games, E. Jean Carroll and Rachel Maddow. But there are women out there that don't have the ability to line up the likes of Reed Hoffman, shall we say, who started LinkedIn to fund their legal expeditions, which in many cases come from true necessity. I'm not saying anything about her case. You know what? I don't want to defame the woman. I don't need to. She defamed herself right there. That was pure awfulness and the inability of the anchor woman, the journalist, whatever the heck you want to call Rachel Maddow, I would go with entertainer extraordinaire. She's a good entertainer, all right? You know, she kept you bit by bit by bit tuning in, not me, but, and probably not you, but people on the left, bit by bit by bit during that whole dossier thing, right? And then she, she was just spitting out lies one after another, and weaving together this fabulous story, the entertainer that she is, does she actually want to do anything to help women? Oh, she said she'd go to France. She'd go to France and fish if it helps women. I mean, that was just disgusting. The lawyer had to come in and say, you know what? This is a joke. She's joking. Whatever. You know, E. Jean Carroll and Rachel Maddow, you guys, like, single-handedly gave Trump exactly the ammunition that he needed. Because a lot of women are going to look at that now and say, oh, she wasn't in it for me. She was in it for her. And there were people that put her up to it. There were champions like Reed Hoffman and Rachel Maddow, because apparently Rachel gets anything she wants. I mean, I'm just blown away. But, you know, Rachel, I'm telling you, this woman is actually, they all thought Tucker was dangerous or Lou or heck me, right? Little me. No, no, This woman actually weaves together narratives that are so preposterous and literally like actually digs herself in a hole from which she cannot get out refuting her own points. I mean, doesn't she have like a law degree or something? I would think that she would know better to this. I want you to 
watch these clips. The first one is her telling us, you know what? We can't have Trump win because if we do, there will be no left. There will be no other party. He will get rid of politics forever. He will be an autocrat, a dictator, whatever. Let's take it away. Rachel Maddow at her best, but it gets worse. What he's offering is what he both sort of inherently offers and now more and more explicitly offers, which is if you pick me, that'll be the end of politics and you won't have to deal with politics anymore. You won't have to deal with contested elections. You won't have to deal with contests or divisions when it comes to power. You'll have a strongman leader and I'll just do what I want. And won't that be a lot simpler? Um, that's what he's offering. That that strongman model is what the Republican base is enthused about. And that is something that sets him apart from every other Republican candidate. And I think that we're naive to think that he's tricking people into picking him and then mm. surprised he's going to act like a dictator. What he's offering is strongman leadership, the end of politics, the end of elections, the end or the or the sidelining or domesticating, as Ruth Ben-Ghiat says, of the judiciary uh, mm -hmm. and, and the Congress. It'll, he'll be the man in charge and he'll get it done. And that's what he's selling. And that's what they are very eager to buy. Okay, so she's totally losing it. This is like another meltdown of hers. She's convinced. I don't think she's actually really convinced. This is why I get back to the entertainer thing. She's convinced somehow she wants to convince you that he's going to be a dictator, right? That is the, that's the selling point. That's the only place they keep going back to over and over again. And so you heard that rant. Well, it went on. It went on. And, and you need to listen to this part because you heard her just say, did you not, that Trump is going to destroy politics that you won't get to pick sides anymore because her side, right, is going to just be annihilated. And, and, and it's just going to be his way. Well, then she goes on to say, you know what? They've tried this in Germany. And, well, let's, let's let her say, I, I can't do it justice, ladies and gentlemen. I can't possibly do her justice. This needs to be said by none other than Michael Maddow herself. Here we go. In the post-war post years, 1952, they banned parties that wanted to use the democratic process to come back in and dismantle democracy. They haven't done it since then, but they're ready to do it now with this iteration of the far right. And She's we're obviously considering that with potential insurrectionists um, being back on the ballot uh, in multiple states. You see, she said, and we are obviously considering that with potential insurrectionists being back on the ballot. She's referring to him, and she says, we are considering wiping out a party. 75 million people, all those MAGA Republicans, they voted for Trump, they got to be wiped out. They don't have a right to think what they think. I mean, come on, isn't that what she just warned us that Donald Trump was going to do? And now she's hoping, praying that, Colorado and Maine are somehow going to come through for her. I think it's already disintegrating right before our very eyes, certainly in the state of Maine. This is so highly irresponsible. But what, what can you expect? What can you expect from a party who has a former president who literally called the then sitting president, President Donald Trump, illegitimate? and told the world he was illegitimate because he's put in place by the Russians. I mean, this is wacky stuff. He was listening to Rachel a bit too much. Jimmy Carter, take it away. There's no doubt that the Russians did interfere in the election. And I think the interference, although not yet quantified, 
Uh, if fully investigated, would show that Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election, and he was put into office because the Russians interfered on his behalf. So do you believe President Trump is an illegitimate president? <laughs> Based on what I just said, which I can't retract. <laughs> okay, yeah. They laugh. It's funny. It's funny. Like, we're going we're gonna to make wild accusations like that. Hey, why not? We listen to Rachel every night. She's saying it. Why, why can't I say it? I'm Jimmy Carter, former president of the United States. And I'm going to double down on this theory. I mean, this is really, that is dangerous, everyone. That is dangerous. And then that became the narrative. And you know, I mean, the whole not my president thing, Maxine Waters, the rest of them, not my president, Hillary Clinton floating what Jimmy Carter was floating, Rachel Maddow doing her part. MSNBC has a big problem on its hands. I think she only does a show like once a week now, thank goodness. But um, that, that little episode that she was so excited about, Having Gene Carroll on for the big exclusive, that is going to cost the Democrats because women will look at that and they're going to say, wow, you never, you are what you are. You just are what you are. Cheers to you. My gosh. The trouble's not over. Meanwhile, the trouble's definitely not over at MSNBC because less than 24 hours after Rachel's catastrophic interview with Jean Carroll, you have Joy Reid having to come out and apologize on live television because she said something, well, she shouldn't have. And by the way, I have a feeling, just a little feeling that there's some people in the White House really upset right now with Joy Reid. I mean, really upset because, you know, she went where you weren't supposed to go. But, you know, I got to tell you, I mean, heck, like in the last three days, I think I've agreed with her twice. This is getting real, real and scary. But she's actually talking some sense, especially on this one. And she's getting called out for it. I'm going to, well, first let's watch her apology. Okay. So here she is apologizing for what you're going to see after. Here we go. Before we go, I just want to apologize very quickly. Uh, I was chatting during a clip that was playing, um, and, you know, we try to keep this show very PG-13, so I just want to apologize to anyone who is listening to my behind-the-scenes chatter. Uh, deeply, deeply apologize for that, because, you know, it's PG-13 up around here. So thank you to you all for watching The Readout. And Inside with Jen Sock. Okay. <laughs> she says a bad word. She says a bad word. It's interesting. She's apologizing for her language, but she's not actually apologizing for what she said. And I actually totally agree with what she said, because I don't think this team has a clue. Let's, let's listen to this, okay? So they're, they're talking about the, the difficulties that we're now facing in the Middle East, which are getting per, really pretty serious, right? Pretty serious in, in light of three Americans having been killed, so many wounded, and I want you to see her. So what she has forgotten, I, I worked in TV a long time. Basically, you kind of got to operate under the assumption that the microphone is always hot. It's always on. But typically what happens is as soon as they go to the tape, if you're in one of those fancy TV studios, like here, it's what you see. It's what you get, right? Another subscribe, reminder, subscribe, everyone. But if you're in one of those fancy, fancy TV studios, you've got an audio person whose job it is to turn your microphone off anytime they're playing a clip, they're playing video, etc. So you think you're home free, but you're really not. At least 
Not if the audio guy forgets about you. <laughs> okay. And that's exactly what happened to Joy Reid here. So let's let her take it away on this one. A big old F-bomb. Well-deserved. Over the weekend, President Biden said he's ready to take action if Congress is serious about solving the border issue. If that bill were the law today, I'd shut down the border right now and fix it quickly. And Congress needs to get it done. Starting another more. <laughs> one more time, Drew. One more time. It's just, it's kind of hard to hear. We bleeped it out so you wouldn't actually have to be offended by the actual word. But one more time, because I just want to hear that again. Over the weekend, President Biden said he's ready to take action if Congress is serious about solving the border issue. If that bill were the law today, I'd shut down the border right now and fix it quickly. And Congress needs to get it done. Starting another war. <laughs> she said, starting another mm, war, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, like, why is he doing that? Why are we in this? Look, I'm not going to say, like, why is he doing this now? Look, there's just been a series of steps, okay? A series of things that have happened. I think back to McCain, whether you like him or not, he refused to vote for Blinken as a deputy secretary of state under President Obama. And the reason he refused, he said, was because Blinken didn't know his arse from his elbow, as my, uh, one of my aunts would say. <laughs> it's my paraphrasing. McCain was more eloquent than that, but he did say that he feared American lives would be lost and that Blinken would be putting American lives at risk because he did not think that this guy knew what he was doing in any way, shape, or form. This guy, by the way, now our Secretary of State, longtime foreign policy advisor to Joe Biden, who has gotten basically everything in his entire career, and that's a long career. We're talking 50 years here. People, everything wrong on foreign policy. So we got Blinken running things, and it's just been a series of missteps, right, going back to, to day one, frankly. And so now we're in a situation where our back is up against the wall, and no one wants to be here, and nobody wants to go to war. Trust me, no one really wants that. But the question then becomes, like, where, where does this go? Like, if you're not strong, if you're not out in front, if you're not telling Iran how it should be, and they think that Hey, you know, right after you give them that money, remember the money that was given? We released, like, the hostages plus $6 billion, and we're like, oh, but it was theirs to start. Well, you didn't have to give it back. They're still saying, oh, well, you know, we, we have it in bank accounts. We haven't fully given it back. We're going to run that story down, I'll tell you, because, listen, I think that every signal was sent to them that the U.S. wants to be your friend, and we're nice, and blah, blah, blah. And then what happens October 7th? And they greenlit those attacks. A reporter from the Wall Street Journal had that story and that intel that they went ahead in Iran and they greenlit Hamas to do this. And so now it's just all boiling up, right? Partly because they did not want to be excluded. The Abraham Accords developed under Jared Kushner, the, by the way, Jewish son-in-law of Donald Trump and Donald Trump. They had the Abraham Accords in place. It was going to bring peace to Saudi Arabia and Israel. Iranians didn't like that. What do you know? All of this starts to happen. So it's like, guys, you know, you got to be playing chess, not checkers. And I don't know as Blinken is capable of that. But you think about how we weren't supposed to get this, right? We were never supposed to get this because Joe Biden promised. After all, like if we elected Donald Trump for another four years, it was going to be for sure, war with Iran. Remember this little clip? We went and dug it back up for you. I, I got to play it for you. I got to play it, guys, because 
This is him on the campaign trail in 2020. And he's out there promising that, you know, (laughs) Trump is bad. He is good. He will keep us out of war. Listen to Joe Biden. The world has changed because what Trump has done. And the American people, including independents and some Republicans, know how bad he is, know how much he's misrepresented, know how he's getting close to getting us in a war. I said, as the walls close in on this man, I'm worried he's going to get us to war in Iran. Unfortunately, I may have been right. The fact of the matter is there's a lot at stake in this election. Wow. He sounded a little more coherent back then. Am I right? And just a little. So that was Joe Biden campaigning back in 2020 and campaigning on this idea that you had to elect him. You had to elect him because otherwise we were going to be at war with Iran. What what do you think this is? Gosh, I hope it's not. But what did Joy Reid have to say again about this? Shall we play the... Just humor me, Drew, right? I mean, I I actually like it. I like it when these people are honest. I'm heartened by that. Joy Reid on President Biden. Over the weekend, President Biden said he's ready to take action if Congress is serious about solving the border issue. If that bill were the law today, I'd shut down the border right now and fix it quickly. And Congress needs to get it done. Starting another f***ing war. <laughs> Starting another effing war. Oh, my goodness. All right, so this wasn't supposed to happen. It wasn't supposed to happen at all because you know what? Biden was going to keep us safe. But think about everything that has been going on. Think about the administration he came out of. Think about the administration Blinken came out of. Think about Barack Obama and the peace deal he was trying to put together. Not a peace deal. A big money deal with Iran, the great Iran deal. It all fell apart under Donald Trump. One of the first things he did was tear that thing up because... Well, we didn't want to give Iran a lot of money, which would make them that much closer possibly to getting a nuclear weapon. I mean, think about it. We gave them money. October 7th happens. We gave the UN rescue mission money. And now we find out they had employees, according to Israeli sources, these are allegations, but the UN has fired these employees and the US has stopped all funding to the UN and their rescue operations because... Wow. Some of their employees are alleged to have been involved in the October 7th attacks. In other words, maybe the money thing isn't really working out. Maybe, maybe there's other lofty, very extremist goals that they're focused on, and you can't just lift all tides with a better economy. Obama, he, he lost a drone, didn't he, <laughs> when he was president? I I do recall this, and we went and dug up the tape from CBS News on the story just to, you know, we've got to keep our memories fresh here. We're not Joe yet. Let's watch. President Obama confirmed what we first reported here last Thursday. The aircraft captured by the Iranians earlier this month is, in fact, one of America's most sophisticated spy planes. The president was asked about it today. Uh, We have asked for it back. I'm going to ask you, we have asked for it back. Well, I'm glad. Did we say please? Did did we say please? I I hope we said please, President Obama. 
We asked for it back. Okay, okay, we can listen to the rest. We'll see how the Iranians respond. In Iran, experts have been <laughs> poring over the drone. Iranian TV claimed today that they've recovered data from the RQ-170 aircraft. And a top Iranian military official says they can now reproduce it, though U.S. experts doubt that. <laughs> okay, did you catch that last part of the clip? That's actually pretty important, guys. That's important because... Scott Pelley, the anchor there, said that there's a lot of concern that Iran could reproduce the drone. Intelligence experts said, no, nah, don't worry about it. I mean, what are they going to say, right? And now we've learned that one of the reasons why this drone was able to make it onto the um, and, and do such destruction there at an American military base is because, is because it presented as though it was an American drone. So people were confused. They thought it was ours. They didn't realize that it was enemy ammunition. I don't know if they copied ours or not. I still just go back to how do we lose a drone, really? And when we asked for it back, did we say pretty please? We must not have because I don't think we ever got it back. Unbelievable, unbelievable. And, you know, I'll tell you, it's amazing because... I do believe that the Nobel Peace Prize went to Dantana Barack Obama. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Barack Obama. But <laughs> for all you Trump fans, guess what? He was just nominated for a Nobel Prize. He got a, a Nobel Peace Prize nomination from a GOP rep citing historic Abraham Accords. The historic Abraham Accords are actually a pretty big deal. I mean, it was mind-blowing when this all came about, and it really was the brainchild of Kushner's. I'm going to give him credit. I mean, I guess Trump will get the Nobel Peace Prize. You always got to have good staff, right? And he had his son-in-law working on this thing, and it was pretty amazing to think that that could happen. And yet here we are. It can't happen because we have Biden there. And I just, I question everything right now. I think there are a lot of people that really wanted that Iran deal. They were very wedded to it. They worked for years. I mean, think about it. Obama was in office for eight years. And so they were so proud of that accomplishment. And it was being destroyed, as many would see it, by the Trump administration. But I do believe, and I had talked to him about this. I mean, he had very definite views on who our allies were there in the Middle East and felt strongly because of our business relationship, for example, with Saudi Arabia and the number of people employed in industries that helped Saudi Arabia, et cetera, that these were alliances that you wanted to have. Iran, however, was sort of so extreme in its religious beliefs. And don't forget, you got the whole Shiite, Shia thing going on. And so Iran, I think, felt like it was being pushed out. It was being singled out. And this, to me, really represents in so many ways a breakdown in diplomacy. I've said this. I mean, even what you're looking at with Ukraine and Russia, I mean, the cynic would say, hey, you know, maybe somebody wants this. I, 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 like, to, I like to not think that, but hey, I don't want to get in trouble for this or anything. But I did tell you that I was very suspicious about the use of the Bud Light can in that viral shot of Travis Kelsey's brother and Taylor Swift at the Buffalo Bills game, right? The other night, like the, everybody saw him, he had no shirt and he's holding that Bud Light can. And so 
today, today, one of the team members sent me an article from Newsweek. Sure enough, Travis has a Bud Light deal. I'm broken. (laughs) Anyway, I'm not that cynical. I'm really not, except on football and Taylor Swift. (laughs) But I'm really not that cynical. I do think that, you know, a lot of people are trying to do the right thing. They have their vested interests, and that clouds their judgment. But nobody, nobody wants to actually be in a situation where we're going to war. We shouldn't want that. We should never want that. Right, guys? I mean, absolutely not. Never want that. But now, um, I don't think he's going to get the peace prize, Donald Trump, do you? And, and certainly now that everything's falling apart, it's going to make it even harder. But I will tell you this. You know what? He did a good job for our economy. He kept us safe. And now we're, we're looking at perhaps buyer's remorse. I mean, because the policies that this administration has put in place are, are not doing that. Whether it be the border, and I got a phenomenal clip I got to show you because there's one reporter out there, a friend of mine, that dared to ask the question that no reporter does. And that's, are we heading to a civil war kind of thing? I mean, it, hopefully not like, you know an actual one, but, but she put it out there. So I give her credit, but we're in a situation now where we're going to mess up border. We're going to mess up economy. It's not great. I mean, they'll, they'll try and tell you it's great. I know the market's doing a little bit better. I like that. I hope it's going to do great. I just, I, I see inflation kicking back in and it worries me. And then you got what's going on internationally. So is it any wonder that Donald Trump is ahead? When you look at real clear politics polls and he's up by better than four points right now, we've looked at all of those swing states, and he's killing it, right? Except in Wisconsin, where it's much closer. So he is just doing well, like any which way you slice it. And the reason is people do have this buyer's remorse. And they're like, oh, gosh, this is who we've got. You know, I I, I just got to say, it's no surprise, because sometimes, and I want to be respectful, so how do I quite say this? I do want to be respectful. He is the president of the United States. That's why I don't show you all the time that video of him falling at the, was it the Air Force Academy? Yeah, or falling, going up the plane. I don't really like it. I do try and be respectful, but I'm sorry. You know what? The guy really, sometimes he just sounds like a bumbling idiot. He certainly did over the weekend when he, he seemed to think that Trump was president. What? You see what he recently said about the West, the, he wants to see the economy crash this year? Yeah. A sitting president. As they say in my face, bless me, Father, for, I mean, come on, man. Sitting president. <laughs> we wish. <laughs> oh, Joe, no. We're stuck with you. So he, he, he talks about him as a sitting president. How dare he say this about the economy? So he's a former president. And what he actually said about the economy was taken a little bit out of context. He was sort of talking about the cyclical nature of the economy. Look, I mean, the reality is the president can only control so much. He might want to tell you when things are good that he controls it all. But the truth is the Fed has a lot to do with it. Congress has a lot to do with it. Overall debt GDP to debt ratios have a lot to do with it. So there's many, many things. And yes, the president can affect it and hopefully is going to have good effects on it. I credit him with bringing all that offshore tax money back home, repatriating all those dollars. That was a tremendous boon to our economy. I credit him with lowering taxes for everyday Americans. He did. Everybody's like, oh, it was just for the rich. And I'm like, are you kidding? The rich, they live in New York and they live in California. So guess what? 
they wound up paying more money. I live in the Northeast. And, you know, I guess you could, I, I wouldn't say I'm not the Rockefellers, we're not the Rockefellers or anything, but wound up having to pay more money under the Donald Trump presidency. Whereas a lot of people that were really smack dab in the middle, guess what? They got more. So the whole, oh, he cut taxes for the rich and for his buddies. Like it, that doesn't actually fly. It doesn't actually work. He actually made all of Chuck Schumer's constituents and donors, like big money Democrat donors in New York, pretty angry <laughs> for sure. I'm telling you. So, you know, he also, um, so he went on and he did this thing with one of his friends and he, he got caught saying something about how he didn't want to be the one who, where the economy went down. And he re referenced Herbert Hoover, which is interesting. I, I can get to that in a second. But he referenced Herbert Hoover, who was president sort of in that buildup in the 20s and then was there when the stock market crash happened. And then we got FDR and that was a whole other thing. So he doesn't want to be Herbert Hoover. So he's saying if the crash is going to happen, because markets are cyclical, economies are cyclical, and the Fed has printed so much money, we're sitting there going, how can this possibly be? Well, then it should happen sooner rather than later. He'd rather not have it when he is in office. Quick shout out, by the way, to our friends at Legacy Precious Metals. One eight six six five eight nine zero five six zero because I'm going to talk about inflation, et cetera. And you know, if this is something you're worried about, you might want to look at some different diversification strategies. I'm a big advocate of it. Uh, one of the ways to do that is by investing in gold because gold is something that typically holds its value over time. So it's a good hedge for some portfolios. Listen, everybody has a different investment approach. Everybody has different needs. What you should do is call them and get some intel on what they think might work for you. Talk to your advisor, talk to your family, do all that good stuff. But you are welcome to uh, give them a ring. You can use my name, one 866 LegacyPMInvestments.com. But Trump, he actually, he actually tried to explain himself a little bit more on this whole economic stuff. He did a town hall recently on Fox. Fox, like suddenly, this is weird suddenly kind of loves them. Is it, they're worried about ratings. You know how many interviews they've been doing with him? This is kind of cracking me up. Anyway, let's go to the town hall where he is talking about what he really meant. On an economic shutdown, you said this week in an interview uh, that if there's an economic crash, that you hope it happens now. Yeah. That you don't want to be Herbert Hoover. I don't want to be but Herbert you're not, Hoover. You're not saying you're hoping for a crash, just to be clear. No, I think this. I think the economy is horrible except the stock market's going up. And I think the stock market's going up because I'm leading Biden in all of the polls, every poll, every single poll for the last... With states that normally are not easy to lead. You know, when you're leading in Pennsylvania, you're leading in Michigan, you're leading in uh, Wisconsin, we're leading in virtually every state and of the swing states. And overall, we're leading by a lot nationwide. But I would say this, uh, we have a situation which I believe... The stock market goes up because I'm leading. I think if I wasn't leading, the stock market would be 25 percent lower. And I think, frankly, if I didn't win, I think the stock market would crash. Yeah, I but you said the when there's a crash, I hope it's going to be during this next 12 months because I don't want to be Herbert Hoover. Well, I Just think there clear. will be a crash if I don't win. And I say that and I do not want to be Herbert Hoover. Do you know who Herbert Hoover was? 1929, he was the president. And that was not a good time to be. I don't want to be Herbert Hoover and I won't be Herbert Hoover. 
really interesting that he brought that up. So Herbert Hoover, I mean, I've always been fascinated by this ever since I got the eight track to Annie when I was about five years old. There's a whole song in there. We'd like to thank you, Herbert Hoover. And it's all these people that are living in a shanty town. You know, they used to summer at the shore and they had their place in Palm Beach, et cetera, et cetera. But they lost all the money in the stock market. And so there's this scene and a musical number that goes with it that talks about Herbert Hoover. And, of course, there's a whole theme going on there. FDR, great. Herbert Hoover, bad. FDR brought in Social Security and the works program and this, that, and the other. So, um, you know, that, that was like Broadway dishing it up back in the 70s. <laughs> anyway, he said, I don't want to be Herbert Hoover. And, and, and that's an important statement. And I, I wouldn't want to be Herbert Hoover either. Like, nobody wants to be Herbert Hoover. And then the kids are going to be singing the songs about you in uh, musical numbers for years to come. <laughs> You know, if you don't know about Herbert Hoover, you should, you, you got to go listen to this podcast, even if you do know about Herbert Hoover, because I'm telling you, there's going to be a ton of stories on there that you are going to love. And every so often we all need a break, right, from what we're inundated with. It's called Our American Stories. My friend Lee Habib, he's phenomenal. He was on the show the other day. He, he's just a terrific producer. He actually produced, I think, for Laura Ingram for a lot of years. And, and he's doing a show that's actually not political, but very much in the American spirit of entrepreneurialism and celebrating capitalism, celebrating real diversity, not just different people, but diversity of thought. I mean, he's got just great stories, and they're really, really wonderful stories on Harriet Tubman, on Abe Lincoln, on the founder of Holiday Inn. You know, there's just so much greatness in this country. And it's important that we tell these stories and that we celebrate entrepreneurialism, that we celebrate capitalism, and that we celebrate, for goodness sakes, a meritocracy, right? So this is what this show is. It's done so beautifully. So be I, I, I listened to a story on a, an Irish immigrant who had come to New York back in the 1950s just the other day and then went on to become a pretty famous bar owner in New York and I just was really touched by it. I was really, really touched. His own daughter was voicing this. So go check it out and make sure when you go over there that you download my podcast too, please. Thank you. Um, my, it's Our American Stories. Our American Stories. Remember that. Our American Stories and Trish Regan, <laughs> the Trish Regan Show. Do do me that favor. All right. So turning back to all of this economic stuff. Who's gaslighting who here? So you heard Donald Trump say he thinks if he does not win, the economy is going to crash and the economy is doing badly, et cetera. And, and that's a very different narrative, obviously, because you know what? The, the economy can become, believe it or not, quite political. I like to think it's not. I like to think that, and by the way, for investing, it's not. Not entirely, unless ESG gets in there. But for the most part, the economy really should be all about policy choices that benefit every American. Yet there's a lot of sharp elbows and people have very differing views on how this should be done. Bidenomics, by pretty much any metric you look at, is a failure. I mean, we're, what, three plus years in. It's a failure, ladies and gentlemen. But don't tell Biden that. No, no, no. My economy's better than yours. This was the little speech we heard from him. Folks, the bottom line is our economy has grown more in the last six months than it ever did at any point in Trump's entire four years in office. Okay. Yes, it's all about Trump. All about Trump. Um, that's not entirely true. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into some numbers. 
But then you had the California governor who's out there, Gavin Newsom, auditioning for something. I mean, I don't know what. Doesn't he have L.A. and Hollywood on his West Coast? So he's out there doing an interview, and he's selling the Biden administration's talking points. They feel like if they can just tell you the economy's great enough, at some point you're going to think the economy's great, except you know it's not. Here's Gavin Newsom with his new audition reel. Yeah, Biden's approval is historically low. Why everybody's, is that? Everybody, everybody, we're all, everybody's approval across the spectrum. You find exceptions to that. Look, it's been hard globally the last six, seven years. But again, America stands tall with a tentpole of the world economy. No peers economically. Again, a masterclass of delivery. The economy is booming. Inflation is cooling. And of course, the economic strategies this president put together were all things Republicans dreamt of, but never delivered. He's delivered. Oh my gosh. We're a masterclass. Well, first of all, he's like, hey, America's the prettiest girl at the dance. Except that, you know, the dance doesn't have so many hoodies. Let's just say uh, on this particular evening not so many hotties because yes we are the prettiest girl at the dance but we ought to be okay like look we're the united states of america thank you very much if we're not if we're not the best economy if we're not the most solvent then you know what no one's gonna want our treasury bonds and when nobody wants our treasury bonds i'm telling you guys we are no better than any banana republic down south okay we would be very Quickly, Argentina, Venezuela, Guatemala, take your pick. I mean, heck, we could be Cuba at this rate, right? So we have the benefit of having those treasury bonds that everybody wants. And the reason everybody wants it, they want to invest in the U.S. is because, yes, we are always the prettiest girl, prettiest girl at the dance. It is remarkable to me that they keep using that as a line. Absolutely remarkable. Like, what do you think is going to happen? Is France going to have a better economy than us? Italy? (laughs) I don't think so. I mean, when that's your only go-to line, and they keep saying it over and over again, it's pretty disheartening. So they've got, think about it. They've got Gavin Newsom out there doing their bidding. Biden's out there talking his book. And then you've got the media, MSNBC. This is another Another sort of whammy for MSNBC. They got this guy who is an economic expert, and and he's trying to tell you that the economy is fantastic, absolutely fantastic, and that anybody who tells you otherwise is just gaslighting you. And I'm like, whoa, 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 nobody. I think you're trying to gaslight us. I'll explain. I got charts and everything to go with it. But let's listen to this MSNBC guy for a minute. Prices are rising, making the sting of inflation a little easier to handle. It's worth reminding everyone that President Biden doesn't control inflation, just like President Trump isn't the one who controlled inflation when it was going down. When inflation hit its recent highs in America, it was up all around the world. American, American inflation was comparatively lower than in similar countries like Western Europe. Uh, But the Biden economy has been strong, strong job growth, historically low unemployment, rising wages, growing consumer confidence, strong economic growth, lower inflation and a stock market that's breaking records. There's no evidence to suggest that we would see a stronger economy if Donald Trump returned to the White House. And anyone who says the economy is in bad shape right now is uninformed or they're gaslighting you. Hmm. I believe that's what they were saying, not to like scare anyone, but back in. 2006 and 2007, ahead of the 2008 housing disaster crisis, 
that, that nearly sent us into another depression. I, I wanted to do a story, I remember, uh, network news at the time on what I called the House of Cards because, you know, I'm dorky enough that I actually really get into this and understood subprime mortgage loans and this, that, and the other. And I was trying to explain to the producers, and they're looking at me going, but the market's at a record high. And I'm like, yeah, 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 but look at all this stuff. We've got warning signs. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to happen. I certainly hope it's not going to happen. I certainly, I mean, we get tons of student debt out there, and you can't just forgive all that. People are increasingly getting more into debt. We get a housing market that is on fire still, and that's concerning only in that if at some point interest rates has to go, have to go up, and, and one thinks that at some point they have to go up, right, that, that that might be problematic. I mean, there's a lot of things that you should and, and could, and it would be sort of foolish not to worry about. I hope that none of that happens. And look, I invest for the long haul, and I, I believe in America, and I believe in our equity markets. All that said, let's look at a couple charts. So Trump versus Biden. What is it really? Let, let's take a look at a few of these things because we can break it down. Just in terms of jobs, this is a totally flawed number. And this is what they're going to keep using. The reason it's flawed, ladies and gentlemen, is because there was this little thing that happened called 2020. And our economy dropped like 34% right, in 2020. I mean, like there was a really bad quarter in there because we shut everything down. So what happened? Oh, people didn't have jobs. And so they're not taking that out. <clears throat> so it's not an apples to apples comparison. It's really not. And, and let's go to another, because th this is the Biden versus Trump jobs. Biden versus Trump economic growth. Technically, I think Trump wins this one, because again, the economy plunged some 34% that one quarter, right? We recovered the next quarter, but that was time that, that was just lost. I said it back then. Listen, you guys need a strong economy to fight this thing, so don't screw it up. They kind of did. They closed down everything. Everybody panicked. And I, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have done what you needed to do to help people that needed to be helped and, and taken care of, but let's be honest with ourselves. They didn't even do that, right? They were sending people with COVID into nursing homes in the state of New York. So Trump, Trump wins this. I mean, I, you don't even tell me Biden has a slight edge because he did not have March 2020 in his economic picture. Let's go to the next one. Uh, this is Biden versus Biden. We want to credit our friends at Yahoo Finance with these lovely graphics. I actually had done all the research, so I had all the numbers printed out, and I was going to try, but hey, it was right here. So <laughs> we're just going with that. Biden versus Trump on stocks. Yeah, Trump has the edge there. I guess, you know, there's a lot of different reasons for that. The market had been going up. People got a little scared in March 2020. If you were watching me, I told you this was ridiculous and that you know, nobody should actually be this scared. The market shouldn't be tanking 2,000 points. I was right. And of course, at some point, everybody was home and had nothing to do. So what did they do? They traded stocks and the market went even higher. So Trump has him beat there. We got, I think, two more charts for you that I want to show. So let's go to the next one here. We've got inflation. Well, wow. 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 Look at that. Okay. So this is a home run for Trump. <laughs> Like, Biden, that's one heck of a speed bump you got there, buddy. That's like, you know, a pretty steep, steep, steep hill. So Biden has had a lot of inflation, and we're still feeling the effects. And every time I go to the grocery store, you guys have heard this story, and I'm sitting there looking at eggs or butter or milk. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Or the other day, this was great. I, I, I ordered, like, Uber Eats, and 
was getting like one of the, the hash browns from McDonald's. I like this. And I swear they were like a dollar 39 a couple years ago. Now they're like three ninety eight. I'm like, that is kind of expensive for a, a hash brown. Anyway, let's go to the next one. We get another exciting chart. Oh, yes. This is the biggie. Okay. So this is the grand finale. This is why this is why nobody feels good about the economy. This chart, I, we're going to just, I think we're going to save this one of the whole bunch and just show you this over and over again. This is why nobody feels really good right now because the money doesn't go as far. Your income growth has not been as strong. And by the way, your dollar doesn't go as far because of inflation. So you had strong income growth under Trump versus very poor very poor income growth under Biden. Now in the last year, he's kind of creeping higher. He's trying to turn it around, but this is fundamentally guys, why a lot of people have just said, you know what? I didn't sign up for this. This was a bad trade. And so yes, Donald Trump keeps climbing in the polls and they're going to try and tell you something that's very different. Maybe take a screenshot of that Yahoo finance thing it is, in fact, income that matters most. I would also point out that prior to March 2020, you saw the most growth in median income that we had seen in over 50 years under the previous administration. So all interesting stuff. All right, we got one other thing. I, you know, have you guys been following this Texas thing? I'm just amazed. And the federal government is supposed to have the power of the border. They're supposed to control the border. They haven't wanted to, for whatever reason, do their fair share for the state of Texas. And so Texas has been taking it into its own hands. They put up the wire fence and it went all the way to the Supreme Court and the court decided 5-4. No, you know what? The federal government is in charge of the border. That's like one of their charters. Of course, they're, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. And so they said, you got to take this thing down. And so Texas is like, no way, Jose. And they've got 24 more states that are joining with them saying, I don't think so. So people are saying, wait, what is this? Like, we're coming down to like state versus federal law. We're setting ourselves up for a big clash. And these are Texans. And this is Biden's team. And what's going to happen next? Well, one reporter actually had the nerve to ask the question that's on everybody's mind. She's taking a little bit of heat for asking this. She's, she's a great woman. I used to work with her at Fox and I, I love that she just put it out there because she's fair, she's blunt, and it is the question that needed to be asked because we need to know where this is really and truly going. What is the upshot here? How do we manage 24 states versus Biden's team? Gosh, I mean, this does not sound good. I want to play you this. It's an interview that Maria Bartiromo did with the Lieutenant governor of Texas. And uh, she asked the question that we all want asked. Listen. If a, an army came, well, we're facing yeah. an army. Yeah, we're facing sure an army. Uh, but, and they're but well-armed, they're well-coordinated. They're making yeah. millions and millions of dollars off of Joe Biden. Don't mess with Texas. We're serious about securing our border. And I'm glad the president stood down on Friday and did not confront us. That would be the wrong thing to do. We don't want a confrontation. And they yeah. shouldn't want a confrontation. Well, well, that's, We're just that's doing a good our point. job. Let us do our job. Because, I mean, what is this going to turn into a civil war? I mean, you've got the Texas rights versus federal rights, both sides with guns. Bingo. 
And we believe constitutionally we are right. We have a right to defend our citizens. We have a right to defend this country. Okay. And we're just doing the job. This whole idea of Shelby Park, that they would come there, is just ludicrous. Look, yeah. these young men and women who serve our National Guard and our DPS, these are the best of the best. Why would he want to send anyone down to confront them? Yeah. I'm glad they stepped down. Uh, but they need to do the job. And the only okay. reason he's paying attention now is because of the election in November. Yeah, That's the quick, only reason he's paying attention. Real quick on the Chinese national. Wow. So again, she kind of just slipped it in, but she did. And that was good because I think it's, it's what we're wondering here. Like, where does this go? Like, what is it leading to? And why can't, why can't Biden just do what he needs to do? I mean, he... He's trying to rewrite history in this process, too, which is really amazing because he realizes, politically speaking, this is not a winner. Just not a winner. It turns out people want borders. It turns out people don't want 300,000 people flooding the country in a given month and just disappearing into this nation. People don't want that. And it doesn't matter if you're left or right. And this is not a are we nice thing. We are nice. But we need to know who's here. And we need to be able to have a system in place. I mean, we can't exhaust our resources. This is not me just saying this. You listen to the Democrat mayors in New York, in Denver. You got Chicago, the residents in Chicago flipping out. You've got residents in Brooklyn, New York flipping out about all of this. Pockets that have historically been very Democrat in how they vote. They're like, no, 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 this is not working. It is not working for us. And so Biden has realized he's got to flip the script. He's got to do it really quick. He's got to do it fast. And he's got to have a different story. So he's just going to blame the Republicans. The Republicans are like, we're not going to give you money because you've already told us what you're going to do with that money. We know what you're going to do. You're going to try and basically create a path to citizenship for everybody. And you're going to pay more people and more judges and more lawyers so you can clunk up the system even more. We're going to get to that because he promised he would do this and he's, he's delivering on it. But first, I want you to see his press person because this is like a bizarre, bizarre, super strange explanation, if you ask me, for why our border is such a mess. She got on TV and like literally, literally refused to tell the truth. This is fiction. She's making stuff up. Let's watch one of the worst press secretaries. She's a nice lady, by the way. She used to come on my show at Fox. A very nice lady. But he's just one of the worst press secretaries I've honestly ever seen. Let's let's take it away, KJP. Security, he put forth a comprehensive piece of legislation. That was almost three years ago. If Congress, House Republicans didn't get in the way and they actually took action, we probably would be in a different place today. Now what we're seeing in Congress is in the Senate, Republicans and Democrats together are working towards a bipartisan deal, which is, by the way, what Americans want to see. 75% of Americans want us to take action on immigration, a broken system in immigration, really secure the border. You heard from the president this weekend. You saw his statement on Friday. He said, give him the new uh, enforcement authorities, right, new authorities, and he'll, he'll use it. He will use it to secure the border. And here's the thing. You have Speaker Johnson and House Republican Speaker Johnson in particular saying that uh, the president already has this authority, but that's not what he said. She's also said that he's always believed in a strong border. And, and I got to tell you, that's just flat out wrong. It's flat out wrong. Do we, do we have this graphic? I want to show you. We found this is on the, the White House's website where they literally say their number one 
priority, their number one priority, day one. And Donald Trump talks about drilling and putting up the border wall. They wanted to take down the border wall. That was the whole point. Maybe we have the graphic, maybe we don't. If we don't, I do want to go to some sound because he actually, he campaigned on this in August of 2020. I mean, this guy was out there telling everybody exactly what he was going to do. And he knew he didn't have the money for it. He knew there was not a dime to pay for any of this. And he actually got on television and said, hey, you know what? We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay because, ladies and gentlemen, because I, uh, I've got, I, I've got charity. We're, we're going we're gonna to have charity and we're going to have to have Congress put more money and we want to get everybody, you know, on a path to citizenship. Oh, we do have the graphic. Okay. So let's go to this. You can see here, this is proclamation on the termination of emergency with respect to the Southern border of the United States and redirection of funds diverted to border construction, border wall construction. This, this is January 20th. 2021. So don't sit there and tell us that you really care about the border when we know you didn't and you you didn't care until all the polls came back showing that Donald Trump had, it was like mana from heaven for him on the whole border issue. And you, Joe, well, you just got it flat out wrong. Maybe you've been listening to Blinken too long, right? Who's been wrong on every single issue, foreign policy wise, his entire career. Do we have the sound? Because I love this. You know, this is him saying, Guys, this is him saying back in 2020, it was August 2020, and he went on some, I think it was an NPR show, and they were having some kind of roundtable discussion, and they were asking all these questions, and they, they, they got to him, and the, the guy from, I think it was Houston, he was a reporter, a print reporter, and he's like, hey, you know, how are you going to do this? And uh, <laughs> Joe, I, I don't think we have it, but anyway, I've played it for you before. We'll bring it back again. It's funny. You know, I, I have a few go-to, a go-to moments. This is one of them because the Houston reporter's like, well, how are you going to do this? It's going to cost so much money. And he said, well, you know, we'll have to count on charitable efforts. And I'm like, I, wow. I mean, to think about that. I mean, there was no plan. There was no plan. Just like, hey, Jennifer Granholm, I showed you that sound by yesterday when she was asked when she first became energy secretary for Joe Biden and the reporter on Bloomberg television said, oh, hello. You know, it's very nice. He said, check out gas prices. So what is the grand home plan for energy? And she laughed like a hyena. So none of these in Sturgis, Michigan, it is two dollars <laughs> eighty nine cents a gallon. I guess that's better than in California. What is the grand home plan to increase oil production in America? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that is hilarious. Would that I- really? You think that's hilarious? It's just hilarious. I mean, I think it was a legitimate question. By the way, he's a pretty serious guy. I worked with him. Really good guy over on Bloomberg Television. Very into policy and numbers. And that was coming from a good place. Like, that was not enemy territory. He's just like, what's your plan? And she laughs and laughs. And then she's like, well, you know, OPEC controls the price of oil, not me. Well, you actually could have a whole lot more control over the price of oil. Ms. Granholm, former MSNBC anchor, just saying. She was also governor of Michigan. I guess we have to give her that. Anyway, she 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 clearly doesn't understand oil markets um, because she could have a very big effect if, in fact, we had our own supply here. That matters. It really does. You know what else matters? Being strong, being smart, and 
remaining the great meritocracy that we are. This is something that apparently the CEO of the Mavericks might sort of kind of disagree with because priorities, much like at places like Harvard and other Ivy League woke institutions, well, they've gotten kind of out of whack there, I guess, at the Dallas Mavericks. Let's take a listen to her interview she did on a little podcast. Mark Cuban's like backing her up big time and (laughs) just got, she's got totally shamed totally shamed by the woman who actually um, runs equal employment. We'll we'll get to that in a second. But first of all, let's start with Dallas Mavericks CEO telling us why diversity is the most important part of hiring. Uh, Because I know the business case for diversity and you have to have a diverse group of people around the table uh, if you really want to be as successful as you can be. And so, so we took that on. So we laid out that vision laid out a set of values, and then I had one-on-one with all the employees and then made some leadership changes. And so now we have almost 50% women in leadership and 47% people of color. And so diversity diversity matters. It matters. So your your goal was to set the NBA standard for leadership. Good luck. I remember during George Floyd, there were some companies, like Nike was one of them, right, where it's like if you were the white middle-aged guy, forget about it. Look, I'm all for diversity, but real diversity. I do think that people from different places, having different sexes, all of this, different experiences, right? Different people that have different perspectives are really important. The problem that we have with diversity nowadays is that it's not really diversity. Let's be honest. You may say, oh, I've got you know, two black people, a Hispanic person, a gay person, a trans person, whatever. I've got three women. But if they all think alike, you don't have diversity. Hate to break it to you guys. Zip, zero, nada. Because it's woke ideology where you all think the same way and you all march in step. So diversity just went out the window. The diversity that you should want and need as a workplace is gone. Again, America was built on this thesis of let's be a meritocracy. It's what we've always been. You work hard. And you know what? With a little bit of luck, because, yeah, it takes a little bit of luck and it takes some optimism and this, that, and the other. It also takes getting up early, going to work, all the things that, you know, look, I'm sorry, you got to do. And and, and this is what does make us a success. Anyway, Mark Cuban coming to her defense. Let's look at this little... um, Twitter exchange. Uh, this is this is really well. This this is good. Let's let's. I'm going to ask Drew to go to the other Twitter exchange. I'm going to come back to this one because this is Elon and, and Mark, and it's especially especially funny. But before we get that, I, I want to show you this. So <laughs> there there was this back and forth between Mark Cuban and and the woman who runs. She's the EEOC commissioner, right? So she's she's the lady who was put in place in 2020. I guess that was when Trump was still there. I don't think she's going to have a job much longer because she's taking him on. Andrea Lucas, though, I'll just read this to you. Mark Cuban went on Twitter and he said, I've never hired anyone based exclusively on race, gender, religion. I only hire the person that will put my business in the best position to succeed. Okay, win, win, win. And yes, he goes on, he like cuts his own argument in half. Race and gender can be part of the equation. I view diversity as a competitive advantage. So that's interesting. It kind of gets to what I was saying in that, you know, if you have people from different experiences, that that can be helpful so long as they think differently, right? But anyway, he just got totally smacked down by this woman, Andrea Lucas, who's the EEOC commissioner. Mark Cuban, EEOC commissioner here. Unfortunately, you're dead wrong 
on black letter title uh, seven law, as a general rule, race and sex can't even be a motivating factor, nor plus factor, tiebreaker or tipping point. It's important employers understand the ground rules here. Ooh, like I said, I don't think she's going to be working at the EEOC too much longer. But good for Andrea. Totally smacking down Mark Cuban in an epic way. As of this morning, this was getting a lot of traction. I think you can see 9,700 views. Let's go, though, to what's actually hilariously funny. Because (laughs) Elon Musk, just saying the obvious. Okay, Mark, you love diversity so much. Then uh, let's see some real diversity. He said, Mark Cuban, let me help you out. Give you my thoughts on DEI. One, diversity. Good businesses look where others don't. To find the best employees that will put your business in the best possible position to succeed. You may not agree, but I take that as a given. There are people of various blah, blah, blah. He goes on to tout DEI. And um, Elon writes back, cool. So when should we expect to see (laughs) a short white Asian woman on the Mavs <laughs> you know, the Dallas Mavericks or the woman we just heard from. She's like, I'm all about diversity. It's like, okay, yeah. Where are your short white Asian? Maybe let's go with trans, right? Like, I don't know. Like if it's not going to win the game, then why would you put them on the team? Are there any limits here? There are according to the Supreme court. They just told Harvard, you know what guys, you can't do that. I mean, they'll all come up with workarounds, of course. But it's partly why this is such an important time. Hey, we're talking about the VP, and I just want to go out to some of your comments and some of your ideas because I have been uh, talking about a few names, and we heard from Ben Carson yesterday because he, he actually gave us a very interesting hint. He said that he had talked to the president about it. We hadn't really heard quite that from anybody But um, he didn't say whether it's going to be him. We do know that the president wants somebody who's not necessarily going to rock the boat too much. And so does that give us a clue as to who might be in there? I do want to see some of your comments because you guys have actually been putting forth a lot of different names and some of which I actually haven't covered. And you had some good suggestions. I think a few of you were actually talking about Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who would be great. I know that they work really, really well together. So that would be an interesting idea. So many of you are fans of of Christy Nome. That's another good idea. And uh, I think that a lot of you just love Vivek, right? Vivek um, Ramaswamy. I don't, I mean, I, I think it'd be interesting. I actually, I think he's fantastic. I just don't know as it's all going to happen. Leslie, I'm laughing at your comment right there on, on Cuban. Hey, hey, Don, we are killing it. Don Baca, thank you so much. It, let's make it to 700. You're right. We are killing it. Actually, this, this channel is up to, let's see, what do we do? I, I'm wondering, we got a ton of new subs yesterday, guys, like 700 new subs in one show. And I'm like, how, how is that? You must be telling all your friends and like, sharing it. So thank you. We're, we're growing bit by bit, one by one. So many of you were here. Michael Donald, good to see you again. Charles, hey! <laughs> Charles Swinger, we were just talking about gold earlier. Uh, it's really good to see you guys. David David, good to see you. Uh, Charles Thorngren is actually the CEO of Legacy Precious Metals. So nice of him to uh, join in and see the show. But let's let me take a look at some of your comments. I'm just curious who you guys are thinking because Kirsty Gnome 
Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you've also got, for example, the, the woman out of New York, right, who just took down Harvard lady. Uh, she's phenomenal. Elise Stefanik. That could be an interesting, an interesting one. We've also got Byron Donalds. I love him, right? He, he was on the show and he actually understands the economy, understands finance. I love, I love Byron. He's from Florida and you guys have pointed this out actually alongside me that it might be more challenging. Hey, Charles, you just responded. Hi, back. Abel, good to see you as well. The, the Trishti's united indeed. Thank you. But Byron's would be interesting. Um, there's uh, Tim Scott, right, out of South Carolina, guys. And that's another possibility. South Carolina would be a really great state for him to have. And, of course, Tim Scott's very much a fan of Donald Trump. And there's, there's some other names out there, too. Tucker Carlson, whom I used to work opposite, right? I was on Fox Business. Tucker was on Fox News. I just think, and this is my own personal, personal view, I think that Tucker is in a good spot, and I think he knows it. And I think being vice president isn't quite as good a spot. <laughs> like, I'll be honest, like, it's kind of a different sort of job and you're going to have to play second fiddle to Trump. I think Tucker would be terrific in that he, he understands a lot of these policy issues and he understands the media. We're told that Melania kind of likes him and thinks that this would be good for her husband, maybe even protect him a little bit, right? Because the media can be so challenging, but I, I don't think it would be something that the Tucker would really, really want. Vivek, he might want it. He might actually want it. So that might be something. The fact that he wants it is really important, right? You got to find people that actually want to do the job and then people that could work well with the president. And then after that, you got to find people that can help deliver certain states. So then you go around the country and you say, okay, which states are really important? Who's really going to matter? What I would say is that we have seen a deep bench a really, really deep bench, which is incredible. It's phenomenal. I'm, I'm excited that we have this many people out there that, that could do this. Nikki Haley used to be on that list, but we know that that ship has sailed. Donald Trump said it actually recently. So she's not in the running. And Ron DeSantis is also not in the running. A lot of people have said, should he pick a woman? Like just, and I actually don't think he's quite wired that way. I don't think any of us should be. I mean, it's my whole point on the DEI stuff and, and Mark Cuban. And it's why, no, you don't have, you don't have me playing on the Mavericks. Thank you very much. Right. I mean, it, it's just reality. And I know that a lot of people want to ignore reality. You get that story about the kid over in the UK who thought they were a cat and wanted to be meowed to all the time. And some teacher got in trouble because this teacher was not responding with the meows. I mean, give me a break, right? If I say, I want to go back to second grade, can I go back to second grade? If, if I say, you know what? I think I'm 65 and I deserve social security because of it. Like, do I, I mean, this is getting wacky, is it not? So I don't think that Donald Trump is of the view that, hey, you know what? We're absolutely just going to pick a woman or just going to pick a black American or this, that, or the other. I do think he's more of a meritocracy oriented kind of guy. So there's, there's some interesting options out there. Ben Carson Kit said, so I played the sound from you yesterday. Look, I think Ben is great. A lot of you are saying, oh, you know, the energy level might not be what the president wants. And you do kind of have to have some energy, right. To, to get up and do that job. Mike Pence was great. I mean, up until, you know, everything fall, fell apart for him. Um, 
And then, of course, there was that Tucker moment I've played for you before. And Tucker, like, literally, like, in the span of seconds, destroyed his career because Mike clearly wasn't thinking. I don't know. He's, like, got cue cards or something in his head. This is the problem with politicians, is it not, people? He's got these cue cards in his head. And he's got talking point, talking point, talking point. And at some point, Tucker asked the question, well, you know, what about the American people? And he's talking about Ukraine funding, et cetera. And he's like, I don't care about the American people. I care about Ukraine. And it was like, okay, game over, buddy. Done, done, done. You're never going to recover from that. Sorry to say for him. Rand Paul is a very interesting choice. Candy is pointing out, again, though, big personalities. I'm thinking, call me crazy, but having come from the TV world, you know, do you have two superstars on set? Or is it better for one to kind of be the lead? And if you want your lead player to be your president, then who is the best supporting actor, so to speak? I hate to use it in those terms, but I think they're ones that we can relate to, right? You have one quarterback and then somebody else is, is helping along. So it's, it's a sort of interesting, important, and um, special relationship that you have to have between those two people. So we need somebody who is good, is conservative, is responsible, can rally the troops, can get excited when they need to get excited, but can also just step in the line and, and be that supporting voice for the president. Part of the problem with the Biden administration, let's be honest, guys, is that Kamala and Biden, I don't think they like each other very much. I'm just going to go out on a limb and I will say it, okay? He felt like maybe he could get more of the base with Kamala. He can't because <laughs> I don't think even the base likes her. <laughs> I mean, that, that's saying something, right? So, and not to mention, like, they had a really tense moment in the debate early on. She actually blew it because she went on the attack and she seemed kind of vicious in her attack. And so people just didn't like her. And she bombed in New Hampshire and she bombed everywhere. And then he plucks her out and says, okay, you're going to be my VP. And they mend fences. I don't think they've ever really liked each other a ton. So you want to make sure that they have a good working relationship I know that Pence and Trump did have a good working relationship. I, I remember one time I called the president or he called me uh, on the phone. It was actually a Halloween. I was out trick-or-treating with my kids. The other moms are like, what? <laughs> yeah, it was one of those strange, surreal moments anyway. And I had Trump and Pence on the phone and we were talking about something, I think because I was trying to do an interview with the president or with Pence and I was going to be down in Bogota, Colombia. Um, if it was something to do with Venezuela and some story that was happening and Trump said, yeah, you know what? Hey, Mike, come on in here. I got Trish on. I mean, they had a fantastic relationship. It was very jovial. He was teasing him and joking. He's like, yeah, she's going down to Bogota. You're going to be there too. You should. We were just, you know, it, it was, it was Halloween. <laughs> strange, strange night. I, I won't forget that. But look, I came away with thinking these are two people that genuinely like each other and are genuinely supportive of one another. And so it, it fundamentally all sort of unraveled in the end. But I will tell you that they had a good working relationship. And I think you want to have that. You don't want to be Joe Biden looking around your, you know, like, is she going to try and take me out? You don't want that. So we need somebody who's going to be supportive and uh, enthusiastic. And so we'll see. I'm looking at all of the, you know, Christy might, might be great. Thank you. Thank you, Hayward. You know what? I, I'm like Tucker though. I, I don't think I could really, I don't think I'd be the right person for that job because I sit here on the sidelines and I'm like the, you know, the, the critic. Did you ever watch the Muppets? You know, the two little guys like in the, in the box, 
I sit here and I, I get to say, well, that wasn't right. And that wasn't right. And, and I, I do that a lot. It, it's what I do. Of course, sometimes I do think maybe not vice president, but the fed, I think the fed needs help. Charles would probably agree with me on that. Right. I would not have let them print so much money. You know, I would never have allowed that never in a zillion years. You never ever would have had <laughs> the inflation that we have. Charles just joined as a team member. Thanks, Charles. You know what? We just put this in. So we're just coming up with new creative ways to, to kind of gather our team members together. And uh, I thank you for joining. I see that you get the blue star next to your name. But you guys, in all seriousness, since he's here, I'm actually going to put the number. We talked about you twice, Charles, in the show already. But you know what? <laughs> we love you. We've all, you know, Charles is one of my first, first sponsors on this show. One eight six six five eight nine zero five six zero. In all seriousness, these are the, if you guys are worried about inflation, you know I'm worried about inflation. Do call them. They're not like heavy sales tactics. They'll help you out and they'll hook you up. And um, you, you make your own decisions, of course. I'm not your financial advisor, but I do encourage you. They, they're great guys. Charles is one of my favorite people. Yes, you are the star now. Charles, I do have to tell you. So he sent my son a little um, silver coin over the holidays. And like, this is his pride possession. It's on the bookshelf next to a picture of him and Miss America and another picture of him and the former president. So he loves it. I, I, I'm creating a monster, I'm pretty sure. But thank you for that. Hey, it's great to see you all. I'm glad we got to chance to connect and, and talk again. Thank you all. We did like 80,000 views on yesterday's show. It's actually, no, it's over 90,000 now. And we gained like 700 and some odd subs. I'm hoping we keep, keep up this momentum, keep up this momentum because there's so much to talk about. Thank you so much. I'll see you tomorrow.